Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Two questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, and on today's episode of Restoring the Soul, we're wrapping up a phenomenal five-part series on how the Enneagram can strengthen your marriage or intimate relationship. Now, Kelly Gray has been Michael's guest for the entire series, and I can't recommend it enough. If you're needing a boost or just some fresh perspective on how to better relate to your spouse. Now, in this episode, Michael and Kelly will take Jesus's lead from the Sermon on the Mount and apply the principle of removing the log from your own eye before pointing out the speck in someone else's. It's the height of hypocrisy to point out a flaw in another when your sins are so much worse. Michael and Kelly take a deep dive into the importance of caring for yourself, which in turn will help the health and well-being of your marriage relationship. And now here's your host, Michael John Cusick. Thank you, Brian Beatty. This is Michael, and welcome back to Restoring the Soul podcast. This is the fifth and final episode of Talking with Kelly Gray in the Restoring the Soul studios. Uh, It's been called The Enneagram in Marriage. And Kelly, uh, what's the fifth way that you see the Enneagram helping couples? Man, the fifth way that I see is it gives you so much, so much material to work with for um, getting the log out of your own eye. So if you study your Enneagram type, you are going to find really detailed descriptions of all of the beautiful and charming, um, like natural superpowers that you possess. Um, But then you are also going to see the annoying, dark, painful tendencies that you are subjecting others to um, that you're not wanting them to notice, but they notice um, and they put up with and live with. When I first discovered my type, it was back in 1999, actually. It was such a long time ago. So I get to be an Enneagram hipster a little bit with that. I felt so unmasked, and I felt so embarrassed because I had never seen descriptions of some of the weird things that I do. Do you want to hear about one? Yeah, I was just just about to tee you up. Okay. So nines do this really gross thing. (laughs) Sorry, nines. I'm still working on integration and acceptance of this. 
But nines do this thing called merging. And um, merging means you're kind of like a porous sponge and that you have this semi-permeable membrane around you. Um, So the upside of it is that I can read what's going on with others. I can see what they're feeling and what they're wanting and needing. But there's this automatic gravitational pull that says join them and help them out agree with them because you can see where they're coming from but the downsides of that are absolutely myriad um, mostly surrounding just terrible boundaries and not really knowing and owning one's own self so in studying the Enneagram I have been given this very painful gift. I tell people if they don't want to, um, if they really don't want to grow as a person, don't study the Enneagram because it's going to, you can't unlearn, you can't unsee the things that you will see about yourself. And so if I want to get all tangled up in blaming my partner for making me unhappy, I can certainly do that, and I absolutely do do that. But knowing the Enneagram makes me always come back to how am I keeping my own side of the street clean? So if uh, people have been listening to episodes one through four thinking, this is great because I can take this information to change my partner or my spouse, this this is the episode where it's all about you. Mm -hmm. And my experience has been that most people – that just have a a surface knowledge of the Enneagram and don't Mm -hmm. understand how uh, it can be used as a tool to really understand our deeper parts for change into health, the people take it and they drift toward the negative side. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of saying that you learned this thing that was so hard, Mm -hmm. but you're actually saying that uh, like we have to come back around, not just see it as something yucky, but as a log in our eye that can help us grow and become the healthy mm-hmm. part of our number. The words deformed superpower just came to my mind. Like it's it's really something that is put in you that is for good and for beauty. And so in the nines, merging is wonderful, spiritually speaking. So I'm such a centering prayer person and I love um, the welcoming prayer and the prayer of examine. Um, and it's wonderful. Then that's why they say the, the the nines at the top of the Enneagram. I'm not bragging about that. But that's what I see as the beautiful part of that. But then if I'm just turning, you know, if I've just got this merging equipment and it's just out there, you know, f- hanging in the wind, <laughs> ready to just merge with anybody that walks by, that would be my dating history probably. We will not be talking about that on a podcast. Um But then that's just the downside of it that can really only be rectified through self-awareness and taking radical responsibility for your kind of deformed superpowers. And as a two, the Mm -hmm. log... Let's talk about you. Yeah, the log for the two is pride. And Mm -hmm. when I heard that for the first time, I said, I'm not proud. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I make Mm -hmm. my living through humility where I go around (laughs) and I tell people my flaws and and all of my brokenness and all the Mm -hmm. ways that I have sinned. And yet the idea of pride is often misunderstood. We think that it's haughtiness or somebody who's bragging, but pride is really about self-sufficiency and about not trusting others with our own needs. As a matter Mm -hmm. of fact, it was Thomas Merton not uh, not the, the Catholic uh, thinker and contemplative writer, but Thomas Merton, who works at Starbucks down the street, he once said that, uh, and people that don't know this mm. Starbucks 
thing that I like to drop in mm-hmm. will actually think that, wow, that guy at Starbucks said that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. the Thomas Merton said that humility is being precisely who we are mm-hmm. at any given time before God and others. And so I've lived my life as a two with this sense of I, I can't be who I am before you because I'm needy. And mm-hmm. I will get my needs met by taking care of you, by helping, mm-hmm. by giving to you. Mm-hmm. And that's ugly. That, when I first heard it, was cringeworthy mm-hmm. in terms of that shame response mm-hmm. inwardly. And then I came to be able to accept that as I looked at my story and as I looked at what was beneath that. And that knowledge has truly been a good tool to learn how to grow and to be a human being. Yeah, the awesome the awesome news there when you learn what that signature sin is um, and merging isn't the signature sin of the nine it's just one of my many perks um, but nines have a similar one of um, of sloth and um, my husband would have said you know you run around all the time you're busy all the time you're always doing something so how do you have sloth and then when I learned that Sloth is, it's about self. It's about ownership of self. It's self-forgetting. And it's saying, it's so similar to the two in that it's saying, I'll get my needs met by meeting your needs. And so um, thereby hoping that there'll be some kind of like overflow or reciprocation or trickle down there. So the freedom that comes from getting your mail read and feeling those walking through feeling those gross feelings about it and the cringing is that then this whole new world has been opened up to you where you say okay well what do i do about that if i don't just want to live in and you know just ignorantly keep on working out you know just keep on trying to go back to running this old program for my own happiness that was not resulting in my own happiness now what do i get to do next and you get this whole new journey of for you it would be yeah naming what you need and asking for what you need and putting it out there and for me putting myself first more often which really makes me cringe and saying how do i develop myself and then you get to see what starts to grow and then blossom inside of you as a human being Um, and that's just the beautiful growth process that you get invited on How often do you see a couple or one part of the couple say, well, wait a minute, if I take responsibility for my side of the street and look at the log in my eye, then, you know, they won't have to deal with their stuff? Often. It's really hard. I mean, it really does take, it's very best when I've got two willing customers sitting on the couch that are both saying, okay, let's both go at this, you know, one, two, three, go. And we both want to take responsibility for ourselves at the exact same time. I have no idea how often that happens out in nature, but I would imagine never um, or very rarely. And then it's it's what you tell the individual client who is coming in talking about their marriage. And you say, I'm so curious what you say to that, but to them I would say, um, it, they begin to look different. Your spouse looks different. The relationship that you're having a problem with or even a coworker, um, it just starts to look different when you start taking responsibility for your own stuff. The the lenses change that you're looking at other people through. Yeah, I, I partly ask because uh, I'm curious about that, and it doesn't always work moving forward with a couple when mm-hmm. only one takes responsibility. But mm-hmm. I'll often talk about the circle of control where in the center of the circle – 
Uh, I'll draw one color like yellow, and then the outer circle might be green. Mm -hmm. And the inner circle are the things that we can control, and the outer circle are things that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. And yet we all have a tendency to want to control and control. control the outcome Mm -hmm. of things that we can't. And Mm -hmm. so the minute that we try to control an outcome or we attach to that outcome, it will lead to anger, frustration, resentment, depression, um, and oftentimes trying to make the other person pay because they're not cooperating Mm -hmm. with us. So there is the sense of, you mentioned um, on the earlier, I think, episode number four, the grieving, accepting, and then celebrating differences, Mm -hmm. there can sometimes uh, be a grief of I'm taking responsibility for what's in my eye and Mm -hmm. you, partner, are not. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to Mm -hmm. to let go. And yet Mm -hmm. there's a freedom in it. Yeah, I mean, it's controlling, speaking of the word control, like it's controlling the only thing that you actually can in reality. Um, So if you've tried to, if you've made an appeal to your spouse, if you've tried to influence them, if you've asked them directly, would you please address this issue? Um, That, and they are, they're not doing it at all, or they're doing it in a way that you wouldn't do it, or it's more slowly than what you would like to see, then all you have, I mean, you can, you know, you can burn with fury and frustration and lose tons of sleep, or you can say, okay, where, what's, what's going on my side of the street? And the good news about your side of the street is it's literally endless. I mean, you can keep on, keep on going and you can keep on getting more and more freedom inside of your own heart and inside of your own mind and um, get more connected to God and to yourself. Um, another thing it brings to mind is a little bit dark, but it's um, when somebody really is doing their own growth work, it either makes things way better in their marriage or it blows them up faster. Right, right. It, uh, it takes it to a place where the, the crucible creates uh, a, a direction where it's either going to end, mm-hmm. which is always sad, mm-hmm. or that it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought of this quote. I can't remember who it was. I heard it years ago. Marriage is the last best chance to grow up. Mm. And as we are talking about the responsibility of the log in your own eye, I, I, I uh, have experienced this myself, that marriage has required me and is still requiring me to grow up, mm-hmm. to grow up the younger parts of myself, mm-hmm. um, to mature emotionally, to not just want my own way all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, I think, to not point the finger at other people and to be a victim. Yes. Do you frame your couple's work um, or your own marriage as, as, do you have any of that language about maturing and growing up? You know, I um, I love an old Henry Cloud quote, um, and I don't know if I just heard him say this because I, I went to an intensive that thing that he did. Um, I don't know if he still doesn't, but anyways, uh, he was speaking at some point about how immaturity itself isn't sin because God made us as babies and we start fresh and we don't know anything. Um, but we are supposed to engage um, reality and take responsibility for growing up and um and so, yeah, we do a lot of growing, and then we grow as best we can as single people, or maybe we don't. I don't know. Um, I tried my best. But then in marriage, all these new parts come out that were um, 
that you really did not know were there, or they just weren't getting activated in your more autonomous life before marriage. And so, yeah, I will tell premarital couples that um, if in premarital I can help you get an idea of what your major areas of struggle are going to be, then you've had some really good premarital counseling um, because we come into marriage with so much idealism about all of our needs getting met and then an imperfect person joining with an imperfect person. It's just going to miss so many of your needs. And the beautiful growth gateway there is the um, invitation to say, okay, how do I acknowledge my needs, name them and take responsibility for them and then appropriately resource myself in my needs and um, that can really help let your partner off the hook and can really change the dynamic between you and it frees them up when they, if they're striving to provide something for you that they they don't know how to provide or they feel really confused about. Um, Is that making sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That idea that I want my partner to do or be a certain way with me, but I don't need that. And of course, we're we're talking about mm-hmm. things that don't involve uh, the crossing of boundaries or abuse or things Absolutely. like that. But the person who is uh, separate and differentiated from their spouse and mm-hmm. has a strong, solid sense of identity, they do learn what their needs are, mm-hmm. how to meet those needs, even if their partner doesn't in a mm-hmm. healthy way. And then uh, they're free to be able to love and to give to the other person. But as long as they need something from the other person, then it's really hard for that to be love. It becomes transactional. Yeah, it does. And um, when you get better at owning and naming your needs and getting those met, you, I have found for myself it is so much easier to find the language to articulate it to my spouse you know what, I feel like I'm really needing this. And when it's just like a crystal clear thing that I've realized, it's just going to make so much more sense to him. And I'll just see him be relieved (laughs) to get clues (laughs) to what's actually going on and be able to say, oh, I can meet that need. But the more nebulous needs, those are those are so much trickier. So let's wrap up with this thought. Uh, The uh, verse in the Bible about looking at the log in your own eye instead of the the speck um, in the other person's. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. That's out of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. And I think that I just want to comment by how brilliant the teaching of Jesus is and how brilliant Jesus is, that that is not a moral statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're a bad person if you somehow focus on the other. It's an incredibly practical and pragmatic statement that there's a wisdom in how to live and how to relate and how to be in an intimate relationship that when we take care of ourselves and deal with ourselves and choose to be responsible and to mature that that's going to make for the healthiest relationship but ultimately uh, make us the most loving person absolutely i love that so much it's not a way forward it's the way forward So thank you for listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. What we're all about is helping couples and individuals get unstuck. You know how some people go to counseling or marriage therapy for months or even years and never really get anywhere? Our intensive programs help clients get unstuck in as little as two weeks. 
To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com.